We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1, right? Yeah, we're in chapter 1, starting off perfect. No, it's exciting to see you guys. I um, I was telling somebody in between here, the only cooler thing than preaching the first one is I actually get to preach again. I actually sat down and I was like, for, for me, it's just such a time of worship. And yeah, like, like you know what I'm saying, you know, met Christ here, got baptized here, got married here. Um, pretty significant events. In fact, before the first service, I showed up an hour early just to cry for a while and just so thankful to God for what he's done and seeing some of your guys' face. And if you know me, you've, uh, if you met me before, you've seen me cry. So it's just God's been so gracious in my life. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then the title is going to be Watching God Work. Let's pray. God, I praise you this morning that we get to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, I even just praise you that you've probably even brought in people that are skeptical or have different backgrounds or whatever it may be. And uh, God, that you want to speak to to them today. And maybe some of the things that are in this text, God, that... uh, You will speak light into their lives and reveal, God, that you're real, that this isn't mythology or made-up stuff, but rather, God, it's objective truth and reality. So, God, I pray that you just get me out of the way, uh, and God, just speak through me, that you would work in the hearts and the minds of every single person here, and that this would be a time, as we open up your word, a, a time of worship, a time of you speaking to people through your word. A time of new hearts going from death to life as they see and savor and trust you, Jesus. And a a steadfastness would be put in all of our hearts as we see your fingerprints at work in so many ways throughout this church. And and God, really throughout the world, in our lives even, God, and in our homes. So God, would you get all of the glory at the end of this day. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Watching God work. Oh, man, (laughs) it is such a gift to be able to see God work in our lives, but to have the biblical lens to actually see him at work. You know, it's interesting, as I was out sharing the gospel a couple weeks ago, I ran into a gentleman, and I shared the gospel with him, and I asked him, "What's, what's holding you back from following Jesus today? And he said, it's hard for me to think about following something or someone that I cannot see. And it might be something that you struggle with or historically have struggled with. And I explained to him, well, God has revealed himself in creation, showing his power and his wisdom. God has revealed himself in his word. God has revealed himself in the Son of God. And God actually reveals himself today. But what so often needs to occur for both Christians and non-Christians, we have to see God at work among us. I understood his sentiment, but... Maybe today you are having a hard time seeing God at work in your life or in people's lives around them, around you. What really kind of sets the stage for Thessalonian and just understanding what happened there is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul talks about his missionary journeys, but he says some uh, things about himself that I think is true of all Christians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ 
in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. Paul here says, the, the message that I proclaim is this message from God about reconciliation in Christ Jesus, where sin has separated us because of our sin from a relationship with the holy God of the universe. God, in his love towards sinners, sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God became man to live a sinless life, die on the cross, bearing the penalty of sins, rising from the dead victoriously, and will one day return. And through Christ alone... When you become a lifelong follower of Jesus, God gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit and he reconciles you or repairs you back to a relationship with himself. He says there are two realities of both himself and of Christians. They're a new creation. But the second reality is that they are also ambassadors. One sent to bring the message of the king. Now, you might be saying, well, Chad, I just I don't have the gift of evangelism. Amen. I don't either. But what Scripture teaches is that we actually have the identity as ambassadors. You don't need to have the gift because that's just who you are. You are both a new creation and you are both an ambassador. And Paul here says, as an ambassador, God wants to work through us. God wants to make his appeal to his creation to bring sinners back to himself to become his children. In fact, that's how Paul ended up in Thessalonica. He's just going around spreading the seed of the gospel. And it's interesting, as you looked at with Zach preaching last week, in Acts chapter 17, we won't go there right now, but in a bit, what did Paul do? He just went there. He wasn't trying to be cool. He wasn't trying to be fancy, but he was trying to be clear. And he just opened up the word of God and said, look it, this was all pointing to Jesus. And for three weeks, he's pointing people to Jesus, but then people get jealous, and so this, this attack, this, this outrage comes against him. And so then he has this premature departure from the church, and, and as they're gone, Paul has this concern. What happened to those new believers in Christ in this area where there is hostility against the Word of God? And so he sends Timothy back to see what's going on, and Timothy returns, and then Paul pens this letter to them. He's just overjoyed because what Paul got to see was that God was at work. The reality is, and maybe you've experienced this, we can share the gospel with a lot of people, but most people don't come to believe. Most people reject the grace that is invited to them. But what happens when somebody comes to believe? I think what Paul argues here is that we get to just watch God work, Amen. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Paul says this to them. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word 
in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. The Bible teaches us that there is a future wrath of God that is coming upon all the world for their rejection of him and the only way that we can stand before a holy God is through what Christ has done on the cross. Because that's the only way that our sins are punished and dealt with, and we are reconciled back to God. But for the Christian, what he ends with, this Jesus delivers us from that future reality. That it's not something that we should fear. In fact, uh, if we go back to verse 3, we see God at work, and why Paul is convinced that they have nothing to fear in this. In verse 3 it says this, Remember, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he identifies three things, faith, hope, and love, inside of this church as a fruit that is going on there. You could also word this, a faith which produced work, a labor, or a love which produced labor, a hope which produced steadfastness. Faith, hope, love. If those realities are in a person's life where they're trusting in God, they're loving God and other people, they're, they're hoping in the future return of Jesus, it brings them to action. It brings them to action. It brings them to work and to labor and to steadfastness. Work, laying down your life, doing something for the king. Laboring, exhausting yourself mentally and emotionally, pouring yourself out because you love God and you love other people. And, and this steadfastness, this particular type of grit. We like that word in wrestling, grit, this steadfastness. Because when you see the light at the end of the tunnel... And you realize it's not always going to be like this. But my Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. In the midst of the suffer, in the midst of the sorrows, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sacrifice that so often comes with trusting in God and loving him and loving other people. It's all worth it because one day either we're going to see Jesus or he's going to come see us. Amen and amen. But how did this fruit come? In this new church, how did this fruit come? Notice what Paul says in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Why do you thank somebody? Isn't it because you attribute to them what's been done? As Paul looks at this faith and hope and love inside of this church, Paul says, he doesn't say, look at what I have done, thanks be to me. I was a really gifted evangelist. He doesn't say that. He doesn't look at the Thessalonians and say, well, thanks be to you for this transformation that's occurred. He says, thanks be to God. 
This is God's mission. It's to be done to God's glory. And so when God works and moves in a person's life, Paul understands he was just watering. But God was bringing this growth in this church. And he just, in his heart of worship, hearing this report from Timothy that they're still continuing the faith, says, man, this is God at work. And what you start to see in this passage is the fingerprints of God at work in the Thessalonians. But also, brothers and sisters, you can start to see God at work in your own life. The the, the God that we serve and worship, he's unchanging. And he's continuing to work. So if you have faith or hope or love, excited for the return of Jesus, praise be to God. If there's any transformation that has occurred in my life, I mean, I was a partier. God now made me a pastor. How does that happen? The fruit of God working in the midst of my life. God, guys, this isn't about us. This is about him. This is God's mission to God's glory. And Paul is just saying, man, I'm just watching God at work among you. He goes on to say this, for we know, verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul had been sharing the gospel with a lot of people. The reality is, as we experience, most people don't believe. But to see this supernatural work going on, he only can come to the conclusion that God has chosen them. Because God loves them. Because when this message of reconciliation in Christ alone came to them, they were fully convinced. It was evident that the Spirit was at work, changing and transforming them from the inside out. That there was this particular power that was at work that that couldn't be attributed to his winsome communication. God was at work in these people's lives. He tells them that God has chosen them and God has loved them. Chosen from before the foundations of of the world. Loved by the holy, all-powerful God. Jesus sent to die. Rise from the grave. And now this message comes down to me and to you. If you are in Christ, it's because God loves you. Because God's chosen you. Because God has sacrificed the most precious thing in the universe in Jesus Christ to buy you back to himself again. Praise be to God for that. Praise be to God. All Paul was doing was opening up the book and saying, look at what God has done in Christ Jesus. We see God at work making them then an example. As the text continues on, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, and in Achaia. So first, he points to himself. You know how we acted. You know how we operated. You know that we were publicly declaring the word of God as ambassadors of Christ Jesus. And in fact, you started imitating us. And in imitating us, you started imitating the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And through that, they became an example. But what in particular were they imitating about Paul and about Jesus? The reception of the word of God in much affliction. So the example is their relationship to God's word. Joyful reception. 
But it wasn't that they just believed. Because if you're following the example of Paul and Jesus, and you're convinced that the word of God is true, you can't keep quiet about that, can you? You just got to tell everyone that this is the truth, which would bring about affliction. And we saw that a little bit last week, but turn with me in your Bibles or on the screen to Acts chapter 17. Paul had reasoned with them for three Sabbaths from the Scriptures proving that Jesus, Jesus had to suffer and die and that this Jesus is the Christ. But in chapter 4, and this is at Thessalonica, or chapter 17, verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many, uh, and as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out, of, out to the crowd. And when they could... Uh, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, uh, upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. What was the affliction that was going on in this location? Well, people got jealous. Do you know why they got jealous? Because there is a new king in town. Which meant that this was a threat to them because they were the ones who were in control. And when they saw this threat of a new king named Jesus that people are starting to live for, and no longer are they living under their control, there's this jealousy that comes because guess who's at work? God is at work in their midst. They're jealous of God's work in their life. They didn't care that people were following God. They cared that people were following them. Amen? This pride, this wolf-like characteristic, which brought great persecution. I mean, think about being drugged into the middle of town. This whole mob coming against you. The humiliation, public humiliation. That's the affliction they were dealing with. I mean, being drugged into the so town sounds painful. I mean, I live out in the country. I don't ride horses, but man... I don't want a horse dragging me around. Forget that. I'm a big guy. I just don't climb on anything. I just stay on the ground level. I don't even like planes, you know. I just pray the whole time, Lord, I know I'm a big guy, but let this plane carry me. Public humiliation, physical attack. In fact, at the end, taking money as security from Jason. Financial attack. I mean, any way that they can pressure these people. And here's what affliction does. It tries to get you to let go of the truth. Where you let go of the truth of God's word and you just be quiet. That's what persecution is seeking to do. It seeks to rip out of your hands, out of your heart, out of your mind, the truth of God's word. Because if you're standing for truth, an attack comes against you, is it worth it? 
Is holding on to the truth of God's word worth it? And this matters to us, guys, because as our culture continually goes away from any sort of public recognition of Christianity as being valid, what the word of God clearly teaches, you're going to be tempted through affliction to let go of the truth of God's word. What it says about salvation, what it says about marriage, what it says about these things. But notice back in 1 Thessalonians, the Thessalonians were examples. Examples of what? Holding on to God's word. Did Paul experience that? Persecution for proclaiming God's word? Absolutely. Did Jesus? Absolutely. But they were an example to all of Macedonia and Achaia. But they're an example in four ways from the text. In verse 8, And I'll just read this last little chunk. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were an example in four ways. First, in proclamation. Uh, Verse 8 says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, Do you know how big Macedonia and Achaia roughly, very roughly was back then? About the size of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Right? That's, that's, That's my hometown. That's my hometown. And people will kind of argue about what sort of an impact they were having. Was it, was it to all of the people in Macedonia, or to some, or whatever, maybe? But let's just ask a simple question of the text. Were they sharing the gospel a lot or a little? A lot. Another question, did Jesus share the gospel a lot or a little? Did Paul share the gospel a lot or a little? See, it takes some faith to believe in the gospel for ourselves. It takes a whole nother level that we would understand that God wants us to be his ambassadors and proclaim the gospel to others. That gets dangerous. I mean, it's easy to believe, isn't it? I mean, you guys could come here and listen to a sermon. I mean, that's not hard. You get some truth. That's good. That's beneficial. But to go back home, to live for Jesus in your marriage... To live for Jesus in your workplace? To live for Jesus in your community? To be unashamed of the name of Jesus and say, I'll share it with anybody. Because God has called me to this. God, give me the boldness for that. I can't do it by myself. They were an example in proclamation. They were an example in faith. Your, Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And faith isn't simplistically just uh, believing things to be true, which it is, but it's entering into that belief. That you come here, you hear the word of God, and you respond in faith, and that you surrender your life, you surrender your family, you surrender your kids, you surrender everything. Because you have this new master in town, and God has spoken to us through his word, and we can trust him and live in light of that. They were an example in proclamation. They were an example in faith. They were an example in repentance. For they themselves report the the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 
Repentance is an easy word. It's a change of mind, which leads to a change of direction. And the idolatries that they would have been experiencing is the same things that are just repackaged this day. They just put God names to them, you know, consumerism, love of money, sex, power, you know, the endless array of entertainment trying to escape the realities of this world. Convenience. Just repackaged. But God so powerfully worked in this church's life, they turned from all these idolatries, these things that they were worshiping, that the secular culture seemed to approve, to turn to something they didn't, to the one and true living God. No longer were they in endless devotion to the things of this world, but they were in endless devotion to their king and master. The fourth example is patience. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of God. They saw the light at the end of the tunnel. The story about Jesus coming, living, dying, rising, and coming back again, that was true to them. That was true to them. Because it is true. It is true. In the same way that Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father, the angel said to the disciples, he's coming back again. And in that time, all things will be made new. And for the believer, we are delivered from God's future wrath. We don't have to fear that because Christ has once and for all sufficiently paid for all of our sins. And so there's this example of proclamation, of faith, of repentance, of patience. And do you know what's crazy about this? These are just new believers. I mean, how long have they been believers for? It wasn't very long. Notice that the example wasn't found in the depth of their theological understanding. They hadn't read five systematic theology books that are a thousand pages long. And you, some of you guys might be like, I have no idea what you just said. That's fine. The example was found in they receive this message. And they're like, Jesus is my new master. Jesus is my new king. I'm living for him. In proclamation, in faith, and repentance, and patience. They didn't have to be a Christian very long. They just had to believe what they believe. And to believe it to be true for themselves. And what you see throughout this passage of Paul saying thanksgiving for their faith, their love, their hope. God's choosing the power of the gospel coming upon them. The, the example they've become, the proclamation, the faith, the repentance, the patience. Paul's saying we see fingerprints of God at work among you. Think about the encouragement for the Thessalonians to realize, well, this is abnormal but it points that God is here in working among us. So this statement, it's hard to follow something that I can't see. It's like, but we see. It, even in my life, my hope, my faith, my love, what God's done in me, I just have to sit back and say, thanks be to God. He did that. And my question to you this morning is, do you see God at work in your life? Do you love Jesus? Do you care for him? Do you trust him with everything? That's evidence of God's fingerprints over your life. Do you see it in other people's lives? 
where people are just living for Jesus and you're just so excited. That's evidence of God at work. Brothers and sisters, from this text, we can see God at work in our lives. Because many of you, I know you, you are trusting in him. You are living for him. You are sharing the gospel. Everybody's like, we got like 10,000 things to grow and amen. But we can see from this passage that God is at work among us. Can you see it? In your life, in other people's lives. I want to share with you a story. It's, I'm going to end in this. One of the cooler things that's happened to me in the past week. But I've just been really convicted to learn how to share the gospel. I've been discipled in that area. The past month we've been getting out weekly sharing Christ with people and share the gospel maybe 20 times over the past month with different teams and stuff. And honestly, a couple of people were like, oh, maybe I'll follow up. And others are like, hey, we don't even have time for you. And others are like, completely disagree with you. Okay, so we just pray. And I just praying the other day, like, God, could you just bring us to who you would have us? And so then on Friday, this past Friday, uh, me and my wife, is the first time she was getting out with me. And uh, there had been a lady that reached out to our church via our website. And usually when you get things through the website, it's advertisement, you know. <laughs> um, but there's a lady from the community, and she's just curious about some things, and so I'm like, give her a call, and literally, I just submitted this message. Uh, submitted, sent it, emailed it to Mike. Um, I called her up next and talked with Christy. I said, hey, you know, we're getting out from four to six. Would you mind if we just came to your house? Maybe we could just talk with you. So me and my bride, Christine, we go and we meet with this lady, and her name's Nancy. And uh, she's about 52 and just in some weird season of life. And um, you know, she was just questioning. And so I, we heard her story. And then uh, we shared our testimony on how, how we came to know Christ. And she was just like, man, I have all these questions and nobody can answer them. And she just started spewing out all these questions, good questions. And my wife's like, we got them. We got them. We got those answers. She didn't say that. That was going on inside of her. Um, she's very soft-spoken, but... Um, I might have exaggerated that a hair. Um, <laughs> that's me in the relationship. And I, and I said, you know, hearing all of this, can I just share with you a story that changed my life? And we just use simple gospel tools. Tools don't save anybody. The gospel of Jesus Christ does, but it's just a way that we use it to communicate Christ to people. And I just said, Nancy, when you look around the world that we live in, uh, the first circle, we just see a bunch of brokenness. We see death, we see disease, we see war. We see all these things. Don't you see that? And yeah. It's not how God created the world. Did you know that the way God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2 is perfect? Where we were created to live forever, to have a perfect relationship to God and other people. And, um, and it was awesome. No death, no disease. Do you know how it got into this brokenness? Well, the Bible says the word it uses is sin. A rejection of God and his will, his word, and now because of our sin against God, we live in this broken and fallen world where there's sin. Not only that, we actually deserve God's wrath because we've added to that, that brokenness. But can I share with you a story that changed my life here? God in his love for us sent Jesus Christ, and there's a little arrow here, to come down, God in flesh, to live a sinless life. And at the cross, you know what Jesus did there? He died there. But you know why he died there? He took all of the punishment of sin. 
It was as if God was punishing Jesus as if he was the one. Not as if God was doing that. God was punishing Jesus as if Jesus was the one that committed our sins. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead. And then three days, well, three days later, he rose from the dead. And over 500 people saw him risen from the dead. In fact, the entire New Testament is written by people that have either walked and talked with Jesus after he died and rose from the dead, or he, they walked and talked with others that had walked and talked with Jesus after he had risen from the dead. This is a true story. And what he calls you to do today is to return and to repent. And if you make Jesus the king of your life, he'll do a lot of things, but two things in particular I want to highlight. He'll forgive you once and for all for your sins. He will make you a new creation in Christ. And he will adopt you to be his child for all eternity. And I said, Nancy, where do you see yourself at? And I ask you guys this. Where do you see yourself at? Do you see yourself in brokenness or through Christ in God's good design? You know, Nancy said, she's like, I'm in brokenness. And usually I'll ask, where do you want to be? But there's just something going on. I was like, What's holding you back from becoming a lifelong follower of Jesus today? She said, I just don't know how. I said, here, let me bring you to a passage. We went to the Great Commission. And I had to read it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? He said, Jesus is the master and the ruler of this universe. I said, that's absolutely true. He is right now. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Do you know what a disciple of Jesus is? She's like, man, it sounds like somebody that follows Jesus. That's absolutely right. But it's a lifelong follower of Jesus. And I said, it says, go be baptized. You know what baptism represents? And she shared just from her understanding. I just said, here's what scripture teaches. In the same way Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also too, when you go under, you're united with Jesus' death, his resurrection. The old you has died. The new you has come. It doesn't save you. Jesus alone saves you. But this is an act of obedience in your first step of becoming a follower of Jesus. And I said, it says, teaching, you, teaching us to observe all that, we've, uh, all that Jesus has commanded. What does that mean? You just, you just keep following Jesus. It's like, absolutely right. And then it says, all, um, I'll be with you to the end of the age. What, what does that mean, Nancy? She said, that Jesus will always be here. I said, this gives you a picture into what it means to be a follower of Jesus to get baptized, to identify with his death, his resurrection, and then to learn how to follow him as this new creation the rest of your life. Nancy, do you want to become a follower of Jesus today? Do you want to get baptized? And she's like, yeah, I I do. And I look over at my bride and she just starts crying. I said, Nancy, well, the first step is baptism. Like, when should we do this? Where should we do this? Who, you want to invite anybody else? I'm like, I'm going on vacation here next week. So literally after we get done here, we're leaving. And I'm sleeping. <laughs> and I just said, well, where, where do you want to do it? And we just couldn't think. I was like, you know what? If we got time. It's like, do you want to get baptized right now? She's like, yeah, I do. So we drove to a uh, there's a person in our church that once mentioned we could baptize people at their house. They weren't home. So was, I don't know if that was technically trespassing or not. I don't think they would care. But we walked into the water. I said, Nancy, based on this profession of faith, that you want to follow Jesus. And then we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And she come up just happy, like, I'm a follower of Jesus now. And as we're going home, uh, we're riding. Christine was driving my wife, and and uh, I said, uh, and from here on out, we're going to help you follow Jesus. 
We're going to help you follow Jesus the rest of your life. And she goes, does that mean you're going to become like my personal Jesus coaches? I said, absolutely. We're your new personal Jesus coaches. And let us follow up and start to disciple you next, when we get back from vacation. How does that sound? She's like, absolutely. Brothers and sisters, that never happens. Well, it does. It did. I'm exaggerating. It just rarely happens. We've been out all month sharing the gospel with people. And all of a sudden, that happened. And after you feel like you failed time and time and time again, and all of a sudden somebody comes to believe and you read this passage and you just got done writing a sermon about it, you can't help but stand back and just say, thank you, God. You're at work in Nancy's life. That was not me or my eloquence. That was not Nancy. That was not my bride. God, that was you at work. Brothers and sisters, when we see God at work, in our lives, in other people's lives, it just encourages us to continue to serve our King. And maybe today you, one of you, might want to become a lifelong follower of Jesus. Maybe get a Jesus coach and become baptized. What I would like you to do is talk with one of the leaders here, and they would love to help you on this journey. It, it, Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters. The joy, uh, just the emotional aspect of coming back to the place where I've been baptized. And God, you used in Luke Rickard to bring the gospel message to myself. Being married here, just the work that you've done in my life. And God, I pray for the work that you're doing in everybody's life here. God, that you would encourage them through the example that we see in this passage. And God, you would encourage them as you see you at work in people's lives. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.